I talk about the business side of things and I'm not a business person, you know, and I think, you know, creative people, we're told that we're not good business people. And I think that's such a dangerous sort of myth out there because I think that it's a complete undersell. The Creative Trust is a podcast about the creative process. Amanda Henderson founded Gloss Creative in 2001 and has been making fabulous happen ever since. Gloss Creative and its alumni have mastered the art of creative renewal. Listen as Amanda sits down to explore some of the world's best creative minds. These are their insights and this is their legacy. Welcome to the Creative Trust. About four weeks ago, I spent an amazing Sunday with Lauren Lee from Sicilla Design. I spent a day with her and her interior design friends, I guess, fans like me, at her house. And we had an amazing day, started with an incredible breakfast, and then we spent the day pretty much talking about creative renewal all day. A lot of conversation was had and ideas exchanged. I thought it would be fabulous to talk a bit more with Lauren today. As you know, I'm obsessed with how people got creative. So I'd firstly like to welcome you, Lauren, and find out how you got creative. How did it start? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? And I mean, tiny Lauren. What did oh, you do when okay. you were a kid? Oh, okay. Well, it's how was such a cliche, formed? isn't it? Lego on the floor, making towns, villages, restaurants, <laughs> you know, with the, I look at what my kids, they've got mountains of Lego and I had, you know, so, such Scraps. a small, yeah, <laughs> but it was, you know, treasured, treasured it. But yeah, it was that. And it was, you know, my mum, you know, she was very creative. She loved to have her home decorated. So, you know, I as kids, you're just like, oh, my God, mum, relax. Like it's not like house and garden are going to walk in and do a photo shoot, you know. I used to say that to her. You were hoping for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think, maybe, yeah, she just liked to have everything, you know. we ha- It was in the 80s, so, you know, growing up and it was like that country sort of style. So it was like a bowl of pe- Potpourri, remember potpourri? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> we had that. We had little gold cherubs and stuff. Oh, fantastic. Terracotta kitchen. So, yeah, full circle on that as well. So, I guess, um, and going to antique stores. So, you know, on the weekend, we'd go to like the tire packing house and look at antiques. And, you know, we just went along. But I suppose, like, yeah, that started that interest of interior design, but I never really thought about it as a career. So at school, how Mm. did your creativity show or did it? Yeah. So I just leaned into all of the art subjects, you know, so, you know, fun stuff. Exactly. Like, you know, in high school, I was one of those nerds that would hang out in the art room during lunch. Yes. Yes. We'd have the radio on, you know, we'd be playing like Tori Amos or whatever it was. And we'd all like, there was like a little group of us that would, you know, hang out in the art room. We had such a great art teacher. First collaboration experience. Exactly. It's, (laughs) you know, still friends with a few of those guys today. And yeah, our art teacher, Mr. Barron, he was like just a really Really cool art teacher. He let us hang out there. And um, so that was when I, I thought, no, I need to do something. You know, I don't think I would, I'm not a good artist. I, I really like talking about art and I really like looking at different art, but I'm like, I don't think I want to be an artist. I liked also graphic design. And yeah, I, I applied for, you know, the graphic design and the interior design courses. And that's kind of where I landed and haven't looked back. So what course did you do? Straight out of high school, I did the RMIT course, Interior Design and Decoration, which so many people have gone through that course. Yeah. Um, It was fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. Wow. And interesting, isn't it, when you go from, you know, the primary, secondary into tertiary, it's funny how you were saying you didn't actually know what the expression was that you wanted to do. Like you said, you're not a, a... drawer or a fine artist you know sometimes it takes a while to find what your expression of your Mm. creativity will be it's not always obvious is it no like you know I was an okay drawer you know I I do like to draw every now and then you know perspective drawings and stuff like that for work but and I liked ceramics and things but yeah I think what I really like to do is like meet the person and match a space to them like their personality that's what I really enjoy when you're at uni was there that inspirational teacher or mentor that you had or was it 
sounded like a very cool dude in the art room in primary <laughs> school or secondary school. Secondary, yeah. Um, let me see. At RMIT, there were a few. Um, there was John. So everybody that's gone through RMIT has been taught by John and he actually retired during COVID actually, um, which was a bit sad because we didn't have a big send-off as what he really deserved. Um, and he was just like a really a bit of an eclectic character. He's the one that stands out, but he was really encouraging. But I think it was just being in the city. You know, mm. I grew up in Mount Eliza, so, you know, suburbia, very vanilla place, beautiful place to grow up. But um, coming up to the city every day was so exciting. Very, and so you went up every day. I did, yeah. And I met some, like, cool friends I'm still friends with. We're going to hang out tomorrow, actually. So, um, and the funny thing is I have started teaching at RMIT again. Wow. Yeah, so it's so That's nostalgic. Beautiful. Yeah, my friend um, Angela and I, we have gone back to teach. She loves it. I only just dip in and out one class here and there. But, yeah, we, you know, we had a coffee the other week and it was just lovely, like just the full memories. Circle. It is. Yeah. I mean, it really is a full circle moment. I can't think of any other way to say it. But, yeah, it was just a great time. You know, I was there a few years ago now, 1998 and 99, and being in the city and Daimaru. <laughs> no, actually, I was talking to someone about Daimaru the other day. That was a moment way before its time, really. It was. Wasn't it? The heated like, toilet seats. It would do well now, actually. <laughs> yeah, it would. It would do really well. The food court, well. the sushi, yeah, it was so ahead of. pancakes, well ahead of their time. Yum. Yeah, it was pretty good. So... When you moved out of university, what did you do? How did you start your career and how did you get on to starting Sasala? Yeah. So, um, you know, I just came straight out of high school to RMIT. I wasn't ready to start a business, that's for sure. I just learned a lot. So I worked for about 10 years for different architectural practices in Melbourne, did a stint in London, you know, as you do. And that was so, it was just opening up my world, obviously, like, you know, the the design that you see there, they're very opulent, it's layered, it's luxurious, it's fancy. Mm, <laughs> That's mm. such a different aesthetic to what we were used to in Melbourne. Mm. And I then I came back and I did retail design, so worked for Guess and Gap opening up stores and that was a great time because they were doing lots of flagship stores at that, that point in time. Um, but then I think it's the story like a lot of women, you have a baby and you think, I can't fit back into that life. How does that work? And, you know, the architectural practices that I worked at, I could think of two, maybe three women that I knew that had kids that were working in that field. So I'm just, you know, you don't see it. You don't know how you can be it. So I just I just thought I can't, you know, it's like the, the whole stay back, you know, you stay it's, back. It's a story that every woman grapples with over and over I got to the point where I couldn't ask my boss if I could take my child to the dentist anymore. Oh, my gosh. You know, the, yeah. it's that moment. And yeah. I do think when I started Gloss Creative, I wanted to work in a place for me and the people that I work with where there was flexibility. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's you can do a lot. If you have flexibility, mm. women are like that. They know what to do. They'll find a way forward if there's that flexibility. And I think that is a story that is repeated over and over. And there's a number of things that obviously for me went with that. And it was like that glass ceiling, you mm. know, where you can never seem to reach to, mm. where, you know, there are often men at were then a lot of men at the top and you could never crack through that sort of barrier. So I guess that, you know, go around the barrier, you know. Mm. So I think it's a story that a lot of people have and it's not going away. No, and that's why I take my hat off to women that work at those large practices with children. I just think you're amazing. Like, And also I also think that you know, we want flexibility and we'll take that above anything else, like even poor pay or mm. poor, like even the conditions or, you know, you could be way overqualified, but you'll take flexibility as the first thing. And I think that's such a shame as well. Mm. And one of my concerns was that I would leave, you know, a formal workforce and maybe not get the quality of work that you would want if you're part-time 
perceived as mm-hmm. part-time. Yeah. That was my greatest fear that if you went part-time it meant the work was not quality. So the way forward on, you know, entrepreneurship or, you know, small business mm-hmm. was a way of me getting quality work but not so much of it. So I think that's what people, women want. We want quality work and I think now there's people are getting this sort of interesting balance of quality work but not too much of it or somehow creating a balance for themselves. And I'm interested to hear about how you actually put your business together because you have so many threads in your business which I'd love you to tell the audience about, but how do you balance everything in your life? That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a question for later, but let's ask us now. Yeah, well, I guess interior design, that's what I'm, you know, qualified for. I also went on and I did the degree at Swinburne as well, you know. Overqualified. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that, you know, a diploma is so great if you want to start your own business, um, but if you want to work for someone else, maybe a bit more prestigious, then it's a good idea to get that diploma, uh, get that degree. And I just really enjoyed it as well. I always love learning things. Always wanted to do interior design, um, which I, you know, have worked for others and I've done, you know, kind of a varied scope of different design work. And I think when you work at those larger practices, that's where you really get to learn the skills, which has been great. So that when I started my own business, I took on residential clients. That was like, I hadn't actually done much residential work before and I really enjoyed it. But I remember when I worked at one of these, when I was a graduate, one of these sort of mid-architectural practices, mid-level, mid-size, one of the directors said that to stay in business, you need to have uh, diverse threads, I guess, of your business or arms of your business. Yeah, but it was like he said that you need to have like diverse sectors in the business. So they were talking about, you know, they would have a retail design, they would have education. So they'd do schools and universities. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting because they'd been through, you know, the the recession we had to have like in the yeah. early 90s. And I thought, Back oh, they've gotten through that. That's a good idea. Di- having a diverse offering, that's a really good idea. I don't know why that stuck with me. And I, I guess I always had that in the back of my mind. And you've done that. And I've tried yeah. to do that. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain the different parts of your business? Yeah. So I really like talking about design. So I started when I was working full time at one of these architecture practices, I started doing a short course. I I I developed a short course basically at CAE, which is a centre of adult education. And it was an interior design two two days a weekend, I think it was, and one night a week over a couple of weeks. Anyway, I really enjoyed talking about design. And I was also writing a blog at that time as well. So every day I would push myself and I would write something. And I didn't think about what that would lead to. I just did it. Just did it for fun. Yeah. And so I guess from that, education became part of what I liked to, yeah, exploring my business. So when we had our studio in Chapel Street, so I started my my business, Sasala, in 2012. So it's been 10 years. We moved up to Chapel Street in, I think, 2017. And I thought, you know what, I could have a whole bunch of people sitting here and that could be like, you know, full-time staff, part-time staff, because I'd had that before, part-time staff but I'm not really that good at managing people. <laughs> well, I don't really enjoy it that much. I like to do, I found I was, I was still doing a lot of the grunt work and they were doing a lot of the fun sourcing. And that was just because I wasn't managing them properly. <laughs> <I> wasn't, <laughs> managing people is a whole other thing. It's isn't a whole it? other thing. Yeah. So I'm like, how can I grow my business without having lot, a lot more people? Like how can I grow in another way? So on Chapel Street, we started doing these workshops. So it was like one or two Saturdays a month or something. And we were talking about different areas of business, so, or even skills. So one of them was like a SketchUp workshop that we did. That went went really well. We did a Photoshop one. We did an InDesign one. We also talked about marketing. We we even had, you know, special guests like Lucy of the Design Files come in and talk about, you know, how we can approach publications to get our work published. So we had special guests come in and that was really fun. And I got to meet all these different designers. Then, you know, people would reach out to me, say, hey, can I pick your brain? I really like to catch up for a coffee. I'll be like, yeah, sure. So, 
you know, my husband works works in the business and, yeah, back then he was working in the business and I'd be dashing out and he'd be like, where are you going? <laughs> Off for another coffee. Just having coffee for a few hours. He's like, why did that take so long? Oh, we mm-hmm. kept talking, you know. So um, that kind of grew organically. Yeah, so and I guess COVID happened, right? So that meant we couldn't be in our studio running these workshops anymore. We jumped online. So we offered these SketchUp courses and stuff online and then they just went really well. We were sort of already going to do that so we could sort of push the button right at that really peak time when people are at home going, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And then uh, two years ago we, we launched the Design Society. So that's like our online community. So, yeah, that's so we do, you know, interior design projects and as you said before, you know, the quality, that's what we sort of strive for having being able to take on clients that we feel like oh we we really think we can do a good job for them and i really i really think that will click and i think that will be a really fun project is such a luxury you know we've taken on many projects just to keep the lights on so to speak and that's that's fine but i think with having these digital offerings it just means that we can have them ticking along in the background well actually not really in the background i wish they were more passive as people sort of yes. were led to think they are, but they're really a lot of work. Of course. It's just a different, yeah, just different a different. part of your brain. Yeah. yeah. I think that thing of having, as you said, different sectors does help. Um, we grew our business in a similar way, but we did it at, over different times of the year through major events. Oh, yeah. So, you know, if you think about it, it was similar work but in different sectors yep. or at different times. So there were multiple threads. You know, it might be fashion festival. It might be spring racing. Spring, oh, hello. <laughs> I forgot, forgot the elephant in the room. Yeah. You know, those sorts of things. So we, you know, built across a number of industries, which it's was smart. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you, I'm going to go into some of these sectors now. Yeah. I'd love to ask you about yourself as a creative, as an interior designer. Could you describe what your core view of interiors is creatively? Describe, I guess, your style and your approach to interior design. Well, I like spaces that look like they're lived in. <laughs> that should sound obvious, right? But I guess, you know, you do see a lot of spaces that are styled within an inch of their lives um, and they're not about the person that lives there. They're more about the designer perhaps or the architect. That doesn't float my boat as much. Like I really love when you can walk into a space that's just full of atmosphere. You know, there's just a, a person's life told through their space, you know, through the objects. Like objects, they don't just look good. They have some sort of meaning as well. Like I'm a bit of a sentimental person, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I really like the way that the design files talks about spaces, you know, they look like they're lived in. Yeah. So it's kind of a bit of a funny one because as an interior designer, obviously, you know, you're putting your design into the person's home, which is true. But for me, I want to figure out like what what are they about what's their story how can we tell their story through their space so that's that's kind of where where I mm. what I like how do you rationalize the idea of what a client thinks they want and what you think they need how do you balance that dynamic i think it's about how you deliver that information to them <laughs> <laughs> it's Sometimes it's trying to tell them through a story. Through so, your creative process, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So sometimes you need to sort of match the way that the client wants to take an information to, to, you know, a type of a medium. So, for instance, some people, they just really respond to being able to touch and feel things. So we're talking about the space and we're showing them lots of materials. We're bringing in chair samples or we're going out to showrooms like that gets that helps them understand. Some people are just really visual and they really want to see, you know, a a lovely 3D render of the space and just know what goes here and there. Some people like a story. So, you know, you describe the furniture. It's designed by Patricia Urquiola and she's like an amazing designer of our time. So, you know, they can latch onto a story about that or we make it about them. So they're from you know, one of my clients are really cool. They used to live in New York for a lot of years. So 
he really identifies as a New Yorker. It was like one of the first things he said. So it's like, okay, cool. Let's layer that into the story of their home. So trying to bring it back to them, or sometimes it's about like a piece that they have, or it's about the architecture. Like there's always a reason, but yeah, just trying to figure out the best way to deliver that, communicate. Deliver the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And it sounds interesting, the things you're talking about, this communication, time together is kind of the thing where you can be with your client and get to know them and move forward. So, you know, this sort of dripping tap where you get to know them a bit more helps that creative process, I think, definitely, and you get to know one another. Can you talk to me about your actual creative process. So when you, Lauren, has an idea, what's your immediate expression? How does that show and how do you take it forward? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the project, but you're sort of listening. So you're listening to what the client says, as you say, like I am a big advocate for yeah, meeting with the client more than what I used to. So, <clears throat> you know, previously, you might get on the phone with them and then you would meet them and then you just email them a fee proposal and just cross your fingers and hope for the best. But now I, I'll get on the phone with them. We meet for a coffee where you're sort of, you know, they're just figuring out, out if you're a good fit for them and you're sort of figuring out if they're a good fit for you. Yeah. And then we, and I don't really talk about me so much in that meeting. I just let them talk. So I'm, I'm wanting to, I'm excited about their project. I'm wanting to hear all about what they're wanting and they're where they got about. stuck. Yeah. Mm. So if I can hear about where they got stuck, then I'm like, all right. Some people say they're too busy to go to showrooms on the weekend or they went down Church Street, totally overwhelmed. So I'm like, okay, well, I need to be that really clear decision maker for them because they just can't. They can't take all of that. And there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. And even people in, you know, I'm in an allied industry Mm. and creative, but when you come to do your house, it's a whole different thing. You really need an expert to take a holistic look at your environment because I think if you're just your average person, you're sort of building things as you go and unless you've got a very focused eye and a curated vision, you tend to add things into your life as you go. And I know all of those memories I travelled, but, you know, that can end up looking like a souvenir shop. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, it is helpful to have an, an, an call in the experts, I say. Yeah, and some yeah. people, they just want to have a lovely home, but they've just got no interest in doing it all themselves. Or, yeah, as you said, you know, they go go down and, you know, to, into Jada and they're like, I love that sofa, but, oh, my God, what if I make a mistake? Or some people just want to have a really, like, a fun experience working with a designer and we go out and we have coffee and whatever. So it's just trying to figure out, like, where that client got stuck and what it is that they're really wanting from you. So we do a lot of listening in that. And then we, you know, then we can sort of figure out, okay, well, this type of client. I've sort of got four types of clients that I I have in mind. And I, I learned that from, do you know that marketing guy, Seth Godin? Yes. Yeah. He talks about like clients that want status or, or not clients, but just basically for marketing kind of like needs or emotions or desires, like their status, peace of mind, connection and belonging. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually look and figure out some of my clients where they fit into those kind of sort of categories or that overlap into a couple. And yeah, that's sort of how I, when I'm listening to a client on the phone for the first time, I'm like, when they're saying to me, oh, we just really want to, you know, our entry, when you walk in and our friends come over and they just go, wow. It's like, oh, cool. So that's sort of tapping into that status thing. So when I'm talking to them and presenting, I'm basically just saying this stuff that they said back to me, like, this this pendant light that, that we're going to put listened. here, mm. they like that. People just want to know that you've heard them and that, yeah, you're taking on board. But, yeah, as you sort of said as well, it's just like those little meetings. So it's those off-the-cuff little chats that you have on the way to the car after the meeting that you go, oh, interesting. And loving that you've already mentioned the word marketing in a sense because really if you think about, you know, what people want from it, it is about, it's a motive. 
Mm. It really is about how people feel yeah. and how they want to feel. And I think that's the trick with creativity, whether it's interior design, event design, set design, it's how you make people feel something. Totally. And I think if you can get that feeling through your chosen expression, which in your place is the environment, that's what people feel when they're in it. And I think that's incredibly powerful. I agree. And that's what we sort of focus on in those first meetings, the outcome. Like imagine if you sat here next to the window, the sun's here and you can have your books right on the shelf, like the feeling. So you're painting that vision straight up. Well, yeah. Yeah. Instead of sort of going into, so in our design process, step one is this, step two is that, that's boring for clients. Like that's my thing. Mm. So we do talk about that when we're talking with the fee proposal and the contract meeting and stuff. But yeah, it's the feeling like what is, where did they get stuck? What is the feeling that they're wanting? And just trying to really listen. I mean, it is hard. A phone call is not going to uncover all this stuff, but you you do try to just listen hard for those hints. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I've got another question about colour and style. So I'd love you to describe how you see your creative style, what looks of interiors or not looks of interiors (laughs) that you like. Describe your personal style in terms of interiors, what you like. Well, I guess I do lean into that Scandinavian style. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I really see it in more of that cougar point of view, which is about like a cosy feeling, you know, around the table with friends. Like it's not really um, necessarily necessarily a look, but it's that feeling. So, you know, one of my favourite places is Etem, which is in Sweden, which is a beautiful hotel like a really boutique hotel designed by Ilsa Crawford. Everything she does is magic. Oh, my gosh, magic. And I went over to Stockholm and Copenhagen in 2020, if you can believe it, before COVID was really happening in February. And I Just in time. Just in time, rocked up to Etem and Ilsa Crawford was there and I got to meet her. <laughs> Pinch me moment. so cool. Um, but, yeah, just to experience that space so I guess in terms of like aesthetics, what that looks like, lighting, beautiful mood lighting, like textured lighting, rich colour, moody, atmospheric. So it's looking at those, you know, those really classic Danish pieces that were designed, you know, 50 to 100 years ago, craftsmanship, something that's made by human hands, like there's just something in that. So that's kind of my vibe. I like to evolve though. So, you know, what I'm saying now, I feel like that's kind of at the, the, the core of what I like, spaces that make you feel something, but that can look so different. Yes, so, and that's the exciting bit for your career. Yeah. You'll always have your core, but you're adding to it and you're changing it and looking at things in new ways through your unique lens. Mm. And I think that's very exciting. I'm also interested to hear your view on colour. How do you approach it? I guess I'm not that scared of colour, but I forget that sometimes my clients are. (laughs) (laughs) And so what do you do about that? Well, I don't, uh, sometimes I don't overly think about it. I'm like, well, this has to be this colour because we've got this here and that there and the artwork and this, so that blah, 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 blah. Like there's a reason behind it. And when I've explained it to the client, they're like, oh, okay. And then it's not until, and, and plus I do lots of preparation, so I'll have a whole lot of boards that I'll paint up in the different colours and we, we go on that journey together. It's a bit of a cliche, I guess, but we do. So I, I will say, you know, these, this is the, the mood, this is the kind of look that we're going and we will test out some colours and we'll paint up some big boards, move them around the space and see how those colours behave in the actual room. And it's not until the end of the project where the client's like, oh, I, I love the colours here. I would never have been brave enough to do that. And when you first told me that, I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know about that. But they they just trusted in the process and they didn't tell me until after that they were scared. <laughs> <laughs> too late. Too late. But the outcome is just like, yeah, it's it's just feels good to be in a room that's, you know, surrounded by colour. It just has, you know, it's such an inexpensive way to make an incredible atmosphere. So, yeah. Definitely. Mm. There's always this struggle I feel in interior design between something that is classic and timeless against trend. How do you, you know, in fashion it's easy. You just go with the trend. I can, you know, our work's temporary. 
I can just go with a trend. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that in interiors? Because people, if you're buying a couch for $20,000, you want to make sure that it's going to last a while. Mm. How do you balance? I struggle with that and I struggle with designers and clients as well also striving for timeless. I'm like, why? Which time? <laughs> Which time? I I love, you know, as I said before, looking back at different eras and you know, having a giggle at the the terracotta kitchen my mum had in the 80s and the potpourri and stuff. And it was so, so, so much memory and nostalgia in that. What's wrong? I, I don't find that a bad mm. thing. Mm. I find it a, a lot of fun. I don't, I guess I don't take it too seriously as well. Um, but I think as designers, you know, we strive for timelessness. Sometimes it can end up being a real bland kind of experience. <laughs> so it's true. It's like, Everyone said timelessness is a thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Why? Why should it be? What? Yeah, I, I love says? looking at, yeah, interior yes. designs and architecture, so-called trends from, you know, Antiques Roadshow. Like that's my sort of guilty pleasure to watch those that daggy show. But I love seeing all these funny things from the past pop up and, you know, beautiful crafts that have come and gone. Yeah, I like the history of interior design. Like that was one of my subjects I liked at RMIT, you know, going into the state history library. Buff. and yep. Yeah, looking through the books and using the old photocopier back in the day. And, you know, then when you go overseas, you're like, oh, that's a Rococo chandelier I, or, you know, war sconce or whatever. I, I think I remember what that is. Like it's really fun. So, yeah, I think timelessness can sometimes be, end up in being bland but you know you do have a point I'm not you know a sofa isn't a trend purchase so I don't know I, I guess maybe I some of, things are trend and some things aren't you know yeah but and you know, maybe it's not timelessness maybe when you look at the things from the past that are just beautifully designed they're just beautifully designed it's actually nothing to do with timelessness they were made of their time and yes. they're still beautiful Maybe that's the way we should look at it. I agree. You know, they're just beautiful. Yes, they speak of that time and they're still relevant. Mm. But I guess maybe that's the definition of what timeless is. Who knows? What a great, that's a good question to keep in, I think. Yeah. What does the flow of your day look like? What happens in your world? And I know you've got three very beautiful children (laughs) and your husband Phil who kindly bought us coffee this morning he's all right he's great (laughs) how does your day go how does it start how does the day flow well I mean yes we spoke this morning early I was I knew you were up oh my gosh I I really struggle to fit exercise in my day and I realize the only way I can fit it in is if I get up before the crack of dawn which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, but um, we, we do our best. You know, my days are different. Um, there are some things that are the same, though. You know, I have my commitments to my amazing group of designers inside the Design Society. We meet every week and we talk about a to- topic. Last week we talked about insurance. Okay, maybe not the most interesting <laughs> example. But necessary. So necessary. And something as designers we put off, we put off. So every week we catch up and they're all legends in there. But, you know, my days can be working on my book. So, um, I'm which a, is obviously we need to have a very big moment on that. Yes. So, keep going. yeah, I'll be um, at the moment I'm working on the second book, which is about beach houses, which is looking really beautiful. And it's all these little end pages, all the acknowledgements and credits and things. So it can be like little loose ends like that. And then I have to get into that creative gear which sometimes I find a bit hard to get into um, and I really need to probably get some tips from you maybe about <laughs> on how you do that. Um, we, always, we always do most of our creativity in the morning. Yes, okay. You know, with our coffee, it we might spend 15 minutes on the shape of the day and then from 10 till 12, that 120 minutes is pure creativity. Mm. Then we have lunch and then back at one. We have a full lunch hour and then we're back and we'll do another session, say, one till three. That might be a mixture of creativity and client. And then often, you know, from three till five, we'll do client meetings and all the emailing and the other stuff as well. But we definitely concentrate on the creativity first. I think that's so important. Yeah. And I think it drives it. Mm, You've got to start the day off right as well. Like if I get so 
much into emails and distractions and things. But, you know, creativity, it's not something that we can just wait for the perfect time to happen. So I'll light my candle and it's a full moon and it's all these things have to be right. It's like, no, I've got to get this work done today. So I think, yeah, as you say, just to allocate that time this afternoon, I've got to do a lot of creative work and it's what I'm here for. Like it's, I love it. I love doing it. Sometimes I'll bring in, you know, an assistant and we can bounce ideas together because I, I sort of will just work on my own. My husband, Phil, works in the business. So it really does help to bounce ideas with someone. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And having a partner, you know, to throw ideas generation around is so important. Yeah. It's it's where you get the momentum from, I think, as well. Yeah. Sometimes you can feel a bit stuck. And if you're working with someone, you can reflect each other's thoughts and they build and mm. change mm. and lead to new threads that you mightn't think on your own, mm. you know, which proves the team thinks everything again. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's Definitely. always just having it on my radar. So, you know, if I'm flipping through a magazine, it's like, well, I'm going to just quickly figure out where I can save that image because I want to save it into my folder so that I can look at it next time so that when I do have to be creative on demand, I've got all my images in my folders. Yeah, so, you you know, you don't switch this off, do you? No, it's always <laughs> at 4am, I say. <laughs> I'd love to talk about how you learnt to write. The first time I saw your work was obviously for the design files. You beautifully written articles, you know, you started to show up there. Now you're writing a book. So all of a sudden you're a writer as well. How did you get the writing thing? Where did that come from? Good question. <laughs> and it, well, I just have to chuckle when you say, you know, that I'm a writer because I don't really see myself like that, but evidently you are. here we are. Mm-hmm. So I think that I, yeah, in, what was it, 20, 2010, 2012, or around about that time, I had a blog, like every second person had a blog. And yeah, as I sort of said before, I tried to give myself a bit of a challenge to write something every day. And I actually asked Lucy not that long ago, I was like, why did you ask me to write for the design files? Like, did you, where, how did you, I never asked her that before because I was really curious because every now and then people ask me, how can I be, how can I write for the design files or how can I, you know, do something like that? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) So she just said that she, um, I hope Lucy doesn't mind me paraphrasing what she said, but basically, (laughs) but basically she said, that she'd read my captions on Instagram and she'd never heard of my blog before because really nobody read it. <laughs> but I just found it, I found it fun to do. Um, and she just liked the way I apparently spoke about interiors like in a more accessible way because, you know, interior design is one of those funny industries where there is a perception of a bit of a snobby kind of thing. I, I'm just not really about that. A bit mysterious. It is. Mm. Yeah. People don't really like to share that much. And I'm there, you know, blabbing on my emails and, you know, Instagram or whatever. Also for my, I, when I think about it, I wrote a, a thesis, you know, as you do at the end of your degree, I did like an honours year and my style of writing, apparently I was told was quite conversational. And I sort of took that as a bit of an insult. No. I know. But now I think actually it was it's quite an asset. It's your superpower now yeah. apparently. Yeah, I know. Great. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the, the book came about with Paulina at Thames and Hudson just kind of emailing me randomly and giving me a call out of the blue saying she'd read my articles and would I be interested in writing a couple of books for them. So yeah, I sort of dream. Oh, well, I never really dreamed to do it because I just thought books were so unattainable, like such a big dream to have that I never dared to dream it. Oh my gosh, that sounds so cheesy. No, <laughs> but uh, it's we're true. all for the blades of glory. If you can dream it, you can do it. Go in. <laughs> so yeah, here we are. Congratulations. <laughs> so tell us about the book. Oh, cool. So yeah, the book, it's called The New French Look. And I again, looked at spaces that were livable, that are layered, that a person lives in them and they've got, you know, history and art and everything. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at those images and I'm just describing them and offering some tips on how you can have a piece of that French je ne sais quoi. (laughs) All the cheesy, like, you know, French uh, cliches are in there. Well, not really. Yeah, but, you know. Year 12 French learning get you so far. (laughs) But but also too, you know, we... We have a studio, we have a few studio games, which is, you know, if this was a fashion label, what would it be? We have another game in our studio, which is, especially to do with trend, 
what would the French do? Oh. And it never fails. Love that. Yeah, it's because it's true. They they know. They know the right thing to do well, stylistically and you've proved it clearly. Well, I, yeah, I love the French style. Like, um, you know, I've been over to France a few times, you know, when I was sort of 21 with a girlfriend backpacking and just having a lot of fun. But we went to like the west coast of France and we went to gorgeous little islands and seaside sort of places Back when I was living in London, you know, you'd get on the Eurail and you'd be in Paris and it was just a dream and I'd just have my little suitcase and off I went and we stayed with a friend there who lived in like a, a real French apartment, not like a cheesy like a rundown hotel oh. or something. <laughs> yeah, And, yeah, the apartment, it was nothing grand. It had like beautiful oak chevron floors, I remember, and had a marble fireplace and Divine. it was like it had a view out into its own sort of inner courtyard, nothing fancy, but it just felt so authentic. And I, and it was one of those trips where I'd been to Paris a few times. So I'd sort of didn't feel like I needed to tick off all the tourist stuff. So it was kind of wandering around and it was just magic. And, and I've been to the South of France before and just a few places in between, but it's just that way that they have that, they know how to live. They don't look like they're trying too hard, but it looks perfect. So, um, you know, in terms of fashion, um, I think I describe it in the book. It's like, you know, that chic Parisian woman, she's got her hair up and it looks a little disheveled but perfect. She's still wearing, done. Still, still chic. Done. Probably costs like 500 bucks, you know, the hairdresser or whatever, but it looks loose. Like, like a, she hasn't tried too hard. Has, she hasn't tried too hard. She's got a white T-shirt on. She's got a cool blazer and perfect fitting jeans. And she just looks stunning. Like that's kind of like with their homes, you know, they've got the books on the bookshelves, they're stacked up, they're not colour-coded, they're not, you know, it just looks lived in. They've got artwork everywhere. So I feel like, you know, in Australia we'll put artwork on above the mantle, you know, pride of place and that's where it goes. Whereas like the French, they have it in the bathroom, (laughs) they have it in the hallway, they have it in the kitchen, like it's just a part of life. And then there's that history that they live with. They don't live in a museum. It's lived in. It's the home. I just, I love that. Mm. Mm. You're, you're making me think about that uh, Netflix show, The Parisian Agency. Oh, I love it. I think everyone I know who has watched that is just like, wow, that's a snapshot into French style, even mm. though it's a real estate program. No. There's n- isn't a person I know who's seen that who isn't obsessed They've only done two seasons. I'm desperate for them to do I think they're doing a third, but I don't know if we've got it yet. But, um, you know, I'll watch that and I'll say, sorry, I'm spending some time with my real family. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I want to be in their family. We all want to be in their family. (laughs) And I do notice in French interiors, I mean, it's once again, it's the same with the food. It's the same with the fashion. They choose or focus on the beautiful things and let everything else go. And I am interested in seeing how there's this crazy thing I see at the moment where people talk about decluttering everything, you know, for organisational hacks and kitchens and all of that. But at the same time, there is a bit of a decorated thing about filling shelves with styling vignettes, which is kind of stressful how 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 does that work out that it's so it's clashes this need for calm and you know decluttering and yet there's more vases and more ceramics around than there ever has been how does the average person deal with that <laughs> I don't know but I admit I get caught in the middle of that too so I think that you know if you're a collector and you have things that have sentimental value to you I think that's beautiful to keep them. Don't chuck them out because they don't, well, I mean, what does she say if they don't spark joy? I'm like, are you not seeing joy in all these beautiful things? (laughs) Yeah, hoarders see joy in everything. (laughs) Well, I prefer the term collector. (laughs) But it's It's about having them on rotation, I think. So if you've got, you know, the luxury of storage and you can just store a whole lot of your stuff and then, you know, bring it out every now and then. It's not about having all of your things in display but just choosing what looks lovely together. So, but it is, it is. I do think of one of my cupboards as a vase wardrobe. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, where you're right, like 
don't have it all out at one time, have a wardrobe of whatever it is, a wardrobe of ceramics, a wardrobe of mm-hmm. vase. I'm mm-hmm. the vase girl, obviously. And nothing brings me more joy to go and put one away and bring the next one out. So maybe that's the way forward. I love that. Um, my mum has a vase wardrobe as well. Great. I didn't know the term. I made it up I just then. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, on the book thing, what advice would you give to anyone who has to write something? At some point in our careers, all of a sudden we're presenting something with words. We're writing a press statement. We're writing a blog. We're editing our website. What's your advice for people on writing? Because clearly it's something we're all going to have to be kind of okay at. It is, isn't it? Mm. It is, yeah, writing Instagram captions. I know that Mm. people feel paralysed with that. I will find a couple of my favourite books or magazines and just look at the first paragraph of the story about a house and think, oh, I really like the way they use that term or I really like those words together or even just, just to get some ideas flowing, maybe just grab a few, you know, the way that they've formed that sentence. Can you put that to your project or what you want to say. So, I mean, reading other other design books, like, you know, can't get enough of design books. So that's probably like a good jumping off point. But also just start writing. I mean, all writers kind of say that. It doesn't mean the first sentence you write on there is going to be the one that's going to be the what you use. Of course, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. So it could be just a list of a couple of words on the Word document, just to put something on that blank page so it's not so intimidating. I mean, we're talking about chat GPT as well these days. I mean, I haven't really used it for my writing yet, but oh, the potential of that. But you still, I think you still need to start with something. You need to still start with some good ideas. You need to think of the tone of voice. So I guess for me, I just try to think about, oh, who am I speaking to? That's a good place to start. You know, Mm. the things you've been describing for me, to me today are things where you need to create a vision. So whether it's, you know, what you see for the client or what you want to say through your writing, it feels like that you do have a vision mm. of where you want to go. Is How important is that to you as a designer? I know that sometimes I'll design by doing. You do something, you put the flowers in the vase together and you go, wow, look what I've done. Mm. But other times it's very important to see the envision. How do you work? Do Is it a a hybrid of that or are you big on vision or big on doing things to create? Well, I mean, I think it has to be for me, it's about having that plan. So having that vision, because I think that, you know, that's a way that you can build trust with the client as well. And, you know, a bunch of my clients are coming from like their lawyers, their doctors, like they really hang on to words. They love words. So if I can include, you know, a, 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 uh, like a design um, description, I guess, where we're going. And again, it's their words. They've told me, well, you know, mm. sometimes it's just, mm. and they love hearing their words back to them. But it um, confirms that you understand what they've asked for. I think so. And, you know, when you, I like to present either in one big presentation or maybe two, depending on how big the pro- project is. Because, yeah, I think people want to see that holistic vision. That's what they've been struggling with. So if I or if I was to present today, we're talking about seating. Next week, we're going to talk about window furnishings. Then the week after that, we're going to talk about the rug. But what was the sofa again? Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't build trust. You need to give them that full vision. So yeah, I do. And and I suppose if I was just to do, you know, to talk to here's the sofa delivered, and next uh, we'll talk about window furnishings. Then not only does the project drag on and on and on, mm. but they don't get that full vision. So there's there's an element of doing, I suppose, which is pulling together like, you know, whatever it could be, sketch up models, imagery, materials, furniture, like you're pulling that together. I guess that's an element of doing as well. But I think it's good to have a plan. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm. I think mm. vision is such a centre point to what you do and you can always check back on it exactly and it's like a rudder for me yeah you know and it doesn't mean that it's going to stay the same the vision but to have one to start with it can evolve and change but Mm -hmm. to have one is everything definitely what would you like people to understand about the interior design business well I, I don't know I guess 
there's room for everyone and there's room for different point of views. What would I like people to understand about the interior design profession? That's actually a really good answer already. Is it competitive? Do you feel it's competitive? Yeah, I do feel it's competitive. But yeah, I think that if you can figure out what your point of view is, then it's a little easier. So if you're trying to speak to everyone, you know, you don't really end up speaking to anyone in particular because I think if you've got a point of view, like for me, I've tried to lean into this Scandinavian style, something that looks lived in, but, you know, I'm not going to speak, that's cancelling out so many people, so many clients don't like that. So that's fine. You know, you can't be, you know, liked by everyone. So I think it takes a bit of courage as well to say, this is me, like this is what I stand for. So, and and it doesn't mean that as soon as you start your business, you know that that's what you're going to be. So I think that if you have a, a bit of a generic kind of look or something, I mean, I don't know, it, it, would be more competitive maybe but if you can have a bit of an identity then the or you can really connect with a client you know if you can really listen to them on that phone call and they're like oh I, I did speak to that designer and she did say that da 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 well then you're already you know getting one step ahead you know if you're just uh trying to compete on price then I think that's that's no good because it's a bit of a race to the bottom then and the, definitely they're not it's the not greatest clients that. it's not about that I've got a new question. Okay. And I'm going to be asking everyone. And it's like, what is the elephant in the room in the interior design? <laughs> oh, that is a good what question. What don't we talk about that we actually should? Mm, I guess, broadly speaking, it would be fees. Okay. Um, so I think with interior design, you know, we, you know, I did the diploma, I did the degree. I worked at a whole lot of different practices for 10 years. But when I started my own business, I was like, oh, my God, I've got no idea how I charge for this. No idea. I'd never seen a contract. Because, you know, when you work in interior design practice, maybe a smaller one, you really do see that stuff. Yeah, so when you work at a practice for like with 60-plus people, you do your little slice of the pie, your little piece of the puzzle. You don't see a contract. You don't see a fee proposal. You've got no idea how all that stuff works. Well, I never did anyway. So when I took on my first interior design client, I was so nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, how much do I charge? I think I charged, gosh, maybe it was like $2,000, $3,000. And I designed her whole house. We got that shot. And that went on to be shortlisted for the Australian Interior Design Awards. I got a little bit of, um, you know, media here and there. So by the end of the day, I probably had enough for this coffee here. (laughs) (laughs) And lots of pretty pictures in magazines. Exactly. But I guess I knew I was in for the long game. But I was like, I don't even know who to ask. I've got no idea who I can ask about a contract. I don't even know what a contract was. I didn't know what a fee proposal was. So I think the elephant in the room with interior design is, fees. We all do something differently. For me, I mean, I try to be transparent with my clients. Like this is how much this work is going to cost. So we have a fixed fee for the design because the design work is the bit that I can control. And then when we go into, and then we have another fee for construction drawings, then we have a design management fee. So that's when I don't know how long it's going to take. So that's when we go on an hourly We also have a procurement fee. So depending on the project, it's like a percentage, 15, 20, 25%. And that's that's another thing. You can charge different clients different amounts. So when I realized that, I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Like we're running our own business. We get to make the rules of what we charge. So yeah, it's just, and then, but the person next to me, you know, if I've got a client that I've spoken to, well, they said their design... You know, these other, the it's hard for them to compare. Yeah. Mm, and, mm. you know, this is just me figuring it out, you know, trial and error and, you know. And seeing what works for your clients and for your business. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It is hard to find that information out because people don't talk about it. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting busting that open because, and I think a lot of the creative industries are doing that now. How do you quantify and give structure around creativity? You know, how do you value it? And getting industries and people to understand that they need to pay for creative services. Yes. And I think maybe in interior design, because you're dealing with individual people who may or may not be educated 
on fees, proposals, how much things cost these days. And I think if you're working with other corporations, they understand, you know, what business budgets are like. But I think for a, a person who's renovating their house and not in that industry, it's very difficult to understand how that whole process works. So I think it's sort of a combination of things. But thank you for talking about the elephant. That's a a great one. That's really good. What changes have you seen in the industry and where do you think the interior design industry is headed? Hmm. I think the biggest change I've seen in the past maybe five or so years is just the evolution of the software available for interior designers. So I think it was maybe 2017 I discovered this software, well, actually Phil did it in the office, my husband Phil, because he works in the business, called Ivy, and it was a procurement software. So it allowed us to pull in all of the pieces that we're sourcing from all the 50 different suppliers, Ooh. put your procurement fee onto that. What a great tip for that. everyone. Well, <laughs> they they have been sold now. So Ivy was started by these two women and entrepreneurs in America. So I thought that was so great. I told anyone from the rooftops about Ivy when I first found out about it. Um, that's been bought out by House Pro. It's a bit different now. But since then, there's Programmer. So that's an Australian software, which is amazing. Um, and there's a bunch of other ones popping up. So where there was ex- an Excel spreadsheet before, yeah. so many ways to make mistakes, um, which we made a lot of them. <laughs> Go crazy on those formulas and work <laughs> out that the number at the bottom's wrong. Yeah. We've all been there. Order order a few extra stools when you don't really need them. That or kind the of wrong thing. size of all uh, of it. I've so many things. I've ordered a lot of copper squares at nine by five centimeters when I meant to do nine hundred by five hundred. Oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> zeros We've missing. all done that. Everyone's done it. Yeah. So I think it's great. Yeah. So software is a big one. And where do I see it heading? Well, I think as you said before, like, you know, that creativity, that's what clients are wanting from us, I think. Well, that's my ideal client. So being able to charge for that. So we're all about value-based pricing and not charging by the hour for that stuff. Because I'm sure, Amanda, you could probably like have that vision in 30 seconds. Yeah, not quite, <laughs> but yes. You know, yes, I know what you A vision. I always say that the time to make up an idea has nothing to do with the quality of the idea. So quality mm. ideas, some may take 30 seconds, some may take 30 days. Time doesn't care. That is so true. It's true. It's like some, like you said, straight away yeah you're just others like, this you is the just answer. like have to slap like pulling teeth you yeah. know you have to work at it or you have so, that idea time doesn't care no you have that idea in 30 seconds but think well I can't just that was the first idea I have to explore all these other things and you come back to that first one yeah but that's a good <laughs> process in itself isn't it mm. I love it what stresses you out at work what are the things that keep you up at night apart from your gorgeous little bubby <laughs> <laughs> um well, to be honest with you, lately it has been just a roller coaster. So, you know, with COVID, we were so busy. It was, I mean, I hate to say, you know, it wasn't a great picnic for everyone, but for interior designers, we've been so busy. People obviously sitting around in their homes wanting help with that. So a lot of interiors have been flat out. Interior designers have been flat out. We launched our digital courses and a membership. We've been really busy with that. It's been great. But in the past six months, things have really dropped off. So we're just trying to think, well, okay, how can we meet the market where they're at? What can we do? Pivot again. Pivot again. That's right. So Cost of living for everyone. It's just, yeah. It's really here now, isn't it? It's really here. And I guess I was nervous to talk about it because nobody wants to say, oh, gee, I'm really quiet. But, you know, I have been talking about it and I think when Fenton and Fenton have gone into liquidation, like that made it, okay, well, this is valid now. There's something going on out there and I feel a bit more open to talk about it. But, you know, it's so weird, isn't it? Because as soon as you say, oh, gosh, we haven't, a cl- had, we haven't had a client inquiry in a while. There's come. another one. I know. It's very so it is weird. It? Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's part of the vagaries of, you know, entrepreneurship. But also, you know, the big retailers as well, you know, Alan Kohler, my favourite economist on just on, you know, ABC TV, 
last retail quarter, 10%, 9 to 10% down. Really? Yeah, that's a lot. You've got a, real. that's millions, you know. So I think it is definitely interesting that we're all going to have to pivot again. Yeah. Have you ever burnt out? You know, it's my, I find it really hard to, as I sort of mentioned before, fi- find exercise and time for myself. I don't know if that's a particular burnout. When I'm writing, my fingers don't type on my keyboard unless I'm eating as well. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, um, I love snacking, you know, all of these things. And plus, you know, I'm, I deserve I deserve some we treats all, and snacks and we things. We all deserve Love cookies. That. So I need to have some more time to look after myself and that is really hard. So, you know, I think with the weather becoming a bit nicer, it does make it a little easier. But, um, yeah, that's probably my main thing. It's just like, you know, three kids running the business. You know, this is a family business, so this is it, you know. I do feel that pressure sometimes like, oh, gosh, I can't go out for a walk in this nice sunny day. I've got to be here working. Yeah. 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 But I think you need to get out there, don't you? You do. Your social media is very present. It's always there with a beautiful conversation or a beautiful view on things. What does social media mean to you? Oh, thank you so much for that. That's all <laughs> so right. nice to say. Um, well, you know, it's just chatting, connecting with people. So that's the way I try to look at it. I mean, I that's don't know. A gr- it's the only way actually. Well, just to talk about the things you love, I guess, isn't it? And just what's going on, you know, algorithms, all that stuff. I don't know anything about that, but I think, yeah, you know, the people that you meet on Instagram, you know, you, you chat to them and I guess you do have some sort of relationship with them. And it's actually, I went to an art opening last week and I met so many people that I'd only met on Instagram and it's so nice. You know, yeah. you have that, mm-hmm. you do have that connection Real and it, it is real. Yeah. So yeah. fantastic. Yeah. What keeps you grounded and what brings you joy? <laughs> what keeps me grounded? Um, I guess it's, you know, having three kids and yeah, my youngest is not even two yet. So I, I knew you'd be up earlier this morning when I rang you at 7am. Exactly. <laughs> I was. So, you know, family time, that is hard sometimes. I'm not going to lie to fit that in when you do have to run a business and you, you are looking at, you know, your cash flow and your income, you know, you do feel that pressure and then you've got to be present for your kids. So when I am with my kids, you know, even if it's just in the car, even if it's swimming lessons, you know, I try to be present with them and just try to have fun with them, chat, chit chat. I don't know. Just <laughs> don't be know. with them. Just be yeah. with them. So, yeah, and you, you, I don't know if that's if that's helpful at all. Totally. <laughs> I would like to ask you a question which we kind of internally called the magic question, and it's what rules do you think you broke in starting Sasala Design? Well, an interior designer, as an interior designer, I bit of, I'm a bit of an oversharer. So, you know, I don't really stay in my lane just as an interior designer. I talk about the business side of things and I'm not a business person, you know, and I think, you know, creative people, we're told that we're not good business people. And I think that's such a dangerous sort of myth out there because I think that- It's a complete undersell. It is. And then you sort of, but actually it's such an asset because you can, you know, pivot as we were sort of talking about, you can think creatively, you know, what what else can I do? How else can I, you know, um, have another income stream or whatever it might be, you know, creatively think about your business that way, being an interior designer and then going outside of that, you know, the writing stuff. And there's some brand collaborations we've done. There's, You've done a lot of education. Yeah, the education. So I was a little mindful, would that somehow dilute me as an interior designer? Um, but at the end of the day, I didn't care because I enjoyed it. And often you think, oh, will one, you know, take from the other, but often it complements and expands the horizons. Well, yeah. And I just enjoy talking about interior design and talking to other interior designers and learning from each other. And yeah, it's fun. And I guess, you know, I'm getting very much that sense of generosity and I think it's it's really lovely when people do share information. And I think that's a really great trait for anyone in business. There's, you know, to share information 
is actually an asset. You know, don't hide it away. You're not getting keeping a competitive advantage with it. Definitely. Um, I think it's it's fabulous. So thank you for being such an oversharer. We love it. <laughs> I've got a quick round for you now. So is there an interior designer, favourite interior designer that you have? Um, we mentioned Ilsa Crawford before. I love her emotive spaces. So, yeah, she's one. Fantastic. What's your favourite job in your career, been? Favourite job? I mean, I do have some projects that I'm really proud of. And some clients that have just been a pleasure to to work with. I mean, I can think about in terms of what kind of public publicity they've gained or, uh, you know, recognised by different awards. But when I see like the family in the space, the kids with their stuff, it's lived in and that's, I guess, that's really satisfying. Oh, that's beautiful. Are you front of house or back of house? I'm kind of both. <laughs> Great. Yeah, a bit of, bit of both. We yeah. like to run a, a, me, a lean business so, you know, we don't have a lot of staff or we don't have any staff. It's just me and Phil and we, we have like contractors. We like a flat structure. <laughs> yeah, 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 contractors as we need and, yeah, to keep it kind of lean. Fantastic. And do you have a favourite quote? Oh, I don't. I know, okay. I know you're a big one on quotes. I'm yeah. not a huge one on quotes. No, but don't worry. We've got a lot of really amazing quotable Bites from you today. You've, <laughs> you've filled this time with some amazing information for people. So. Thank you so much, oh, Lauren. Thanks, and Amanda. Good luck with your new book. Oh, thank Very you. Very exciting. <laughs> when when can people get it? The 29th of August. Not long to go. Not long now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank wow. you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Lauren. 